Wood and the Wood family is out on vacation this week, but you guys all need to give a big thank you to Jeremy. You know Jeremy is the only person in this whole church that has been here every single Sunday since its beginning. That is amazing, isn't it? That's crazy. So he, um, I, I forced him. I said, listen, you have got to go take a week off, okay? You can still go to church somewhere, but just don't come here. Just get away. So um, he's like, I, when did the pastor tell you not to come to church, you know? Uh, but uh, just thank him. I, he's been a, an amazing servant and um, just really impressed. So um, thank him next week. Uh, for his his ministry and what he's done, he wouldn't want me to say that, but uh, you can just say, "Oh yeah, I just thought about you." So, um, yeah, just be in prayer for his family as they um, take a little um, week off. Well, again, we are in the book of Proverbs. Um, we have them listed here uh, in your worship guide. You can also look in the Bible. I know it's a little bit harder because we jump around because it's thematic um, when we go through Proverbs. Well, Joseph Winstead, uh, ironically, as a postal worker, received something in the mail one day that he was being summoned uh, to jury duty. And uh, he, you know, kind of this, I don't know about jury duty, but then he realized this is really nice because he actually got paid his salary um, for not working and just sitting all day instead of doing his regular uh, postal route. And um, he liked it so much, he um, decided to not tell the Postal Service that um, he was done serving his jury time and uh, uh, just said, oh, yeah, it's still happening, and kind of forged things that said it was still happening. And 144 days later um, of jury duty uh, and paid, um, he's like, oh, yeah, it's over. Well, um, he got a taste of something so good, um, sitting on the couch eating Doritos, um, instead of doing his postal route, that a few years, years later, he said, oh, I should say that I got jury duty again, and uh, also once again forged it. So 100 plus days later of him sitting on the couch, not doing his job, getting paid by us as a taxpayer, uh, he... Uh, finally um, got caught uh, by the U.S. Postal Service and is uh, is no longer a postal worker and uh, had to pay back his salary that uh, he uh, was missing while sitting on the couch. Um, that makes you feel a little bit better surfing the web at work, right? You know, it doesn't feel as bad. You know, you don't do something that horrible. You're not that lazy, you know? But it's amazing the hurdles that some of us go through to avoid work. Here's, work is a large portion of our lives, our jobs. And it can be hard at times. It can be bad bosses, hard co-workers. It can be a struggle. And today we're going to see in Proverbs a lesson to be taught to us. And it gives us a lesson about the wise person and how they look at work. And I'm going to make this argument today, or I think the scripture makes, is that the wise man knows both the importance and the limitations of work. The wise man knows both the importance and the limitations of work. So let's look together and see what the Proverbs says about work. Pay attention as we read God's word. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer or ruler, 
She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road, there is a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. I pass by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. He who has ears, let them hear. The grass withers and the flower fades, for the word of our God will stand forever. Heavenly Father, give us wisdom. Let us look boldly at our lives and how we are treating work and how we are treating rest. Pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. If you're just joining us, we've been, again, going through the book of Proverbs. I talked about the different topics that we are covering um, through Proverbs because um, I think uh, 1 through 9 is kind of this full segment that we went through, but chapters 10 through 31, um, the topics are varied. So the best way I think a lot of commentators divide it is divide it um, topically instead of just going straight through. That said, we're going to spend two weeks on work. This week we're going to talk about... uh, laziness and Sabbath, and uh, next week uh, we're going to be talking about calling. And uh, I think one thing we need to understand about Proverbs is this, it is skill for godly living, that's what we've said, the skill for godly living. And uh, the Proverbs, and I said you have wisdom, is different than uh, the law. So the law is kind of that black and white, the way they were supposed to live. If you were in elementary school, the law would be the things that are written down in literally stone or maybe um, things that are painted on the wall. Rules that say no spitting, no biting, you know, no hitting, you know, those kind of rules. These are the rules you're supposed to abide by. 
The wisdom might be the rules that are not written down. But the rules that go, how do I make friends on the playground? <laughs> what food should I avoid in the cafeteria? You know? Those kind of questions that are like, okay, how do I figure out how I live this reality of the world? How do I live it out? And it's not so much whether it's right or wrong, it's whether it's wise or unwise to live this way. And the Proverbs is telling us, if you live in this certain way, the way the world works, it will go well for you. If you don't, it will not go well with you. And I find that the Christian worldview, specifically when it comes to work, is interesting. The Christian worldview, it, it teaches this. If you ever open the beginning of the Bible and the book of Genesis, you see creation as it was supposed to do, be before you know, the fall, before Adam and Eve sinned. And what does it say about work before sin enters? It's there. It's good. God calls Adam to a task, doesn't he? To name the animals. He calls Adam and Eve, both of them, to have dominion over the earth. There was work even in the garden. And then if we look at Revelation and look in the New Testament and the Gospels, and we see pictures of heaven, we also see pictures of work. It says we will serve in heaven. It says there will be tasks for us in heaven. So work is not a result of the fall. It's not a result of a broken world. Now, what's happened to work has uh, been changed because of the fall. Right? In Genesis it says, now uh, the ground will be hard. Now there will be thistles when you, you um, thorn and thistles. There's these things that are a problem with work now that we live in the fallen state. And this mucked up world that we live in, in the middle of it, we have bad bosses at times. We might have colleagues that we can't get along with. Our desire for work is low, and our motivation can be bad because of the fall. All of these things are existent when we think about work and jobs because of the fall. But at the same time, God says, work is there for a purpose and for a reason. It will be there in heaven it was there at creation. So don't think work is in and of itself bad. So again, the father speaks in Proverbs to the son. And he says, if you treat work and you work well, it will go well with you. If you are lazy, it will not go well with you. Now, Again, Proverbs is talking about the reality of the struggles of work and the reality of this world that is many times difficult and hard. And Proverbs also says, yes, sometimes even people that work hard do not gain financial gain because this world is broken. And even people that are lazy and don't work at all can be wealthy. But Proverbs says, if you take these principles and push them out to eternity, if you live this certain way and push it all the way to eternity, you will finally be found out. If you treat money this way 
if you find the wrong woman, whatever it might be, it might not go well, it might still go well with you in the present, in the short term, but in the long term, it will go badly for you. And the Father is saying, make sure that you see this. You're young, you might not understand, but you need to live this way because if you don't, you'll be found out and it will not go well. And so here we have the Proverbs on work and it talks extensively about work. One of the categories that is most talked about in the book of Proverbs. 22 plus um, sections on work, specifically on laziness. And the problems of laziness are very vivid, <laughs> more than some of the other topics. And the hyperbole and exaggeration is off the charts. And I find something also interesting about these problems. It is stinging. <laughs> okay? I think it's stinging for a reason. It's purposely trying to sting the lazy person. Wake up. Stop. You see the way that you live? You need to live a different way. And so we will make this hyperbole and we will make it look ugly that you live this way so that you will finally see this will go wrong for you if you live this way. And more than anywhere else in the book of Proverbs, the Father is saying the epitome of folly is being lazy. The epitome of folly is laziness. Let's look, shall we? Let's look first at 6, 6 through 11. Again, go to the ant, O slugger, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Now, it looks at the ant, and it says this about the ant. See, the ant is, is small, is nothing. And even it works. Even it performs the task. And the observations at this time that people had about ants, maybe they didn't know about the biology that's existent today, but they said, look, they don't need orders or tasks or anyone telling them the way to live. They just do it. And they know that they need to work without someone trying to prod them. And they know the time to work to be able to gather food so that they will have when the time of want comes. I think part of what um, the sage is trying to say is that just as an ant is made for work, so us as humans, we are made for work. It is part of who we are and part of what we are supposed to do. But then it turns and says, look at the ants, but then look at the sluggard. Look at the one that does not live this way. And it says the result of this is poverty. Fourteen passages in the book of Proverbs says, laziness will result in poverty. Okay, 14 times in Proverbs it says that. Um, we would be doing a great injustice as a church if when we gave out money or compassion or benevolence to people in need, if we said that 
your idea of working or the idea of getting a job was not important. Those things need to be tied together. I am totally, I totally understand that there are people that, whether it's uh, mental um, capacities or disabilities, that many times cannot provide for themselves enough uh, to be able to live, and that's where the church can step in and help. But I also believe we are doing a great disservice if we tell people in those states that you don't have to do any job or any task. God has created us for work. And I think many times what we've done is that we have said, oh, we're a church, we'll provide for anyone, it's okay, you know, wherever you are, you're good. And we neglect many times what the New Testament says, and it's pretty harsh. <laughs> Second Thessalonians talks about people in the church that are not working, and it says this, if you do not work, you do not eat. That's, that's harsh. But I think it's even harsher to say that people don't have purpose and meaning it can't work. I think many of you maybe have seen people in these states and some people, when they don't have purpose and meaning, they wither up and die even if they have food and they have money. Work is good. God has created us for a purpose. And if we as a church do not encourage people to be in that state, we are not doing a good job. So both need to be held together. Both giving benevolence and encouraging people to work. It also is encouraged, it's important to see that work is not always directly tied to making money. Okay? Many of us, whether students or maybe work at home, there are jobs and tasks that we do that are not tied to making money. Okay? But even those tasks are important. And also, many of us work jobs that we find unfulfilling. <laughs> jobs that we have to make money, but we just do not like doing it. I think Andrew will talk about this more next week, specifically about calling. But I just want to hit on it quickly. I think we can change diapers for the glory of God. Okay? Changing a diaper can be done for the glory of God. Calling and vocation are not so intricately tied that they're equal. Okay? Example, can I still fulfill my calling, which I believe is, I, I kind of wrote down my calling when I was um, younger in seminary. I said, to passionately communicate the love of God to his church. Can I fulfill my calling by working at Starbucks? You better believe it. If this church goes under, does that mean my calling is over? No way. You can still fulfill your calling even if the vocation isn't what you thought it was. You can still do it in those places. Do you think I like writing emails all the time? Do you think I like figuring out the budget for church? Setting up chairs? Oh, I just like to be in my office and write sermons all day, right? Is that the way it works? But I can set up chairs for the glory of God. I can write an email for the glory of God. I can look at numbers for the glory of God. Okay. Let's move on. Proverbs 24, 30 through 34. 
So I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man." Uh, the father here is making an observation to the son. And the observation he's making is, look, this man has worked hard. There is a vineyard that has done well, but when he starts neglecting it, it starts to become overgrown. Things start to crumble. And I really believe that when we talk about vineyards and areas and walls and things that we own, it's not just tied to our jobs. I think that is one aspect. But it can also be tied to work when it comes to our parenting, when it comes to our, um, our household, our spouse, when it comes to our friendships. When we neglect these things, they can become overgrown. The book of Proverbs, like I said a little bit earlier, is a book about intentionality. The word that my grandfather loved. <laughs> he loved this word, intentionality. You need to be intentional about the things in your life. Are you neglecting time with your children? Do you need to be sure, how does it, what does it look like for me to spend time with my daughter? One-on-one. -on -one. What does it look like for me when I come home from work to spend time with my spouse and listen to her? What does it look like to a friend maybe that I haven't talked to in a couple weeks to love them and invite them to a movie or whatever it might be? How do I be intentional about these areas that God has given me to provide for? Or they will become overgrown. And the Father says, do not rest on these things. Do not just sleep. But instead, say, God, give me wisdom. Do not let me be distracted by TV or internet or the things that are around me, but instead let me be intentional about the things that you have given me so that they would go well. Well, the pictures here in Proverbs 6 and Proverbs 24 are very specific about laziness. Don't be lazy. But then some of the other Proverbs give why people are lazy. Some of the excuses that people use, the strategies that they do to continue to live within their laziness and not face the reality that God has ordained work in our lives. So let's look at some of what those Proverbs say. I'm going to quickly go through them and hit on them, okay? So Proverbs 12, 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Here this proverb is talking about, this is what God's given you, this kind of job, this kind of task. Work this hard, and if you do, it will go well. But if you pursue things that, the Hebrew word is sense, but it also has a meaning of heart. If you pursue things without heart, and without love for it, or whatever it might be, it will not go well for you. I kind of put this category in the get-rich-quick scheme. <laughs> this is 12.11 that says, oh, guess what? If I do this, I'll get money quick. You know, maybe if I just um, 
be a part of this kind of strategy or that kind of strategy, one that says, I will get money and it will be go quickly and it will be no problem. I think that will run us into trouble. Uh, I had a friend that said, I'm going to professionally gamble. <laughs> and uh, what happened was, he actually did well for himself doing it. Um, he was making like 40 or 60K just professionally gambling online. But he said, oh yeah, this is great. It frees me. But I said, how many hours are you actually spending gambling? And he is online 40 hours a week playing these, you know, these online, you know, card games. And I said, you know, you are working a job. Fine, if you want to see that, your online gambling as a job, go for it. If you want to see any kind of get-quick-rich scheme as a job, go for it. He's saying, okay, I'm going to do this scheme so I can be able to do what I really want to do. If you think you can do it, go for it. But I find this to be the case. Many times we invest so much time in those schemes and we end up spending a lot of hours doing them instead of doing what maybe God has called us to do. So again, work out what you can instead of saying, I'm going to find a strategy that's going to free me up to what I want to do because many times those things will be hard and take hard work to do them and it will just lead you again to a sense of a worthless pursuit, one that does not take heart, one that does not use the gifts and callings that God has given you. Proverbs 14:23. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Also the idea that, okay, you know what, I hate the idea of doing a job. It's work. It's hard. It takes toil. And many times I hear people complain about, I don't want to do this job, I don't want to do that job, because it's hard work. Guess what? No matter what you choose and you're going to make money on it, it's going to take work. It's going to be toil, because we live in a fallen state. Instead of just talking about it, instead of just saying, oh, I just want to do this, I want to do that, do something. Work. It is toil. But through that toil, there will be profit. Again, the path of wisdom, it talks about the path of wisdom and the path of folly. The path of wisdom, the Father says, is hard and many times is not appealing, but over the long term it will go well. But the path of folly looks easy. The thing is, over the long term, it will only lead to destruction. 21, 25 through 26. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. I think this proverb is talking about the paralysis that the sluggard feels by looking at what other people's wealth is. He craves and he craves. And this craving for other things. Says, yeah, I want to have what my neighbor has. I want to have what someone else has in their job. Paralyzes them to say, I will never have that. And because I will never have that, I'm just going to be lazy in the work that I do have. Or it's just, it's pointless. But what it fails to see, as far as it fails to see, is that work is not specifically for money and for things. Instead, work is for the glory of God. And the righteous person sees that even the things that I get, I give back to God. I am generous to. Because the work that I do is not just for my gain, 
but it's also, it's most importantly, to show the glory of God. And the righteous person sees that and is able to even give away what he has. Get rich quick, or work shouldn't be toil. And also the idea, I'm just comparing myself to others. All excuses that people can use for not working hard. And then one of the greatest ones, the most vivid ones, is this chapter 26, 13 through 16. It says this. The slogan says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Here it says, look, the sluggard will even make irrational statements. (laughs) I'm not going to work. There's a lion out there. (laughs) And it's just a, it's such a, Clear picture. They are so gone in their mind to making excuses for not working. They will even say crazy things like this. And I think laziness allows us to rationalize many of the choices that we make. Here are some laziness excuses. I call it the exception excuse. That is, you know what? Uh, I don't have to work so hard because I've been dealt a hard hand in life. The exception excuse. You know, I have this horrible job, and because I have this horrible job, I could just take off when I want to. You know, I had to face this or that in my life, and because I did, you know, I deserve to have breaks when I want to. The exception excuse. And then there's the lowest common denominator excuse. You know, everyone else has breaks. Those people tool around at work. Because they do, why can't I? Don't I deserve to be lazy and take a break? And then it shows as the door hinges, turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. And the image is this. A door just moves in one place. And so does the one that is lazy. He is just in his bed or just on his couch, moving in one place instead of moving from where they are. And the slugger buries his hand in his dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Another, he, he can't even pick up the spoon to come to his mouth, him or her. And there it's trying to say, take initiative. Do work. See what is out there. Get off your bed. Get off your couch. God has made you for a purpose. And the sluggard would still rationalize. And it says seven men. And seven men was the a complete number. And also was the amount of advisors that uh, King Artaxerxes had. It's a complete number of advisors. Even if a complete number of advisors came to him and said, you need to live differently, you need to work, you need to do something, they would still rationalize it and say, oh wait, no, you don't know. I'm going to live this way. Like I said, the Proverbs is harsh. If you are lazy, it will not go well with you. God has made you for a purpose and for a reason. Work. Do not let irrational fear 
Do not like the idea of it's going to take work or toil holds you back from doing the things that God has called you to. But I think there are two equal and opposite errors. Look at Psalm 127 here. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. There are two equal and opposite errors. One is laziness, and two is overwork and being a workaholic. And I'm going to argue this. Both being a workaholic and being lazy is shirking responsibility. The one that is lazy is shirking the call that he has to doing a job. The one that overworks as a workaholic many times is shirking the responsibilities of home and relationships. Instead, investing all his time in his job rather than the other things that God has given them. And both the sluggard and the workaholic will have loss. The sluggard will have economic loss. The workaholic will have relational loss. Again, back to creation. Even God rested, did he not? He worked six days and he rested. You know, uh, Presbyterians have good uh, theology on Sabbath. Actually, it says something very strict in what I have to abide by, that I would abide by the Sabbath. Um, one thing is I can't even recreate on the Sabbath. I take an exception to that because I like playing baseball on the Sabbath, you know. I like playing sports on the Sabbath. But rest is good. And the reason that it's good is because it lets us realize who is really in control, God or ourselves. And this is the lie that the workaholic runs in his head. You know, if I don't get it done, it will not happen. We are replacing God with ourselves. Do you believe that God uses finite humans to accomplish his purposes? Do you believe that? Do you know he used a finite human person to save the world? His son, Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ in a human body, in his limits, could save the world, could he not even use us to do mighty things? Do you believe that? If you would, we would rest. I love the, inter- um, the job interview excuse. I love this. Um, this is a job. You know, we know the question that everyone asks you at job interview. Um, what is your um, what is your worst characteristic? Right? Is that what are your weakest at? And what's the what's like the response of people to? You know, I just work too hard. <laughs> That's my problem. I'm just a hard worker. I just I just come in early. I stay late. I just can't stop. You know what? And that's the way it is in America about, oh, if I need to err towards one thing, it's going to be a workaholic versus the person that takes rest. Because it's good to look busy. It's good to look like I'm always doing things. The truth is, if you are a workaholic, laziness will find you. You want to know why? 
Because you will get worn out. You might not check out on your Sabbath day from working out hard, but you might start checking out at home. You invest so much time and work, so much energy, you are a workaholic that you start saying, I just have to crash at home. I can't be attentive to my family. And many times I'm so worn out, I can't get rest. Drinking becomes a problem. I just am so worn out, I have to spend hours in front of the television and the internet just to get revived. Even a workaholic will have to find laziness at some point in time. So as much as you're going to say, oh yeah, it's good that I'm busy. It's like I'm not a lazy person. I'm a person that works hard. You will burn out. Samantha called me this week. Um, I was on the way to a meeting as she was walking the dog on a Tuesday. And Tuesday is my day off. And I, uh, she's like, I thought Tuesday, she said, she knew it too, I thought Tuesday was your day off. Oh, you know, I'm just taking half days, you know, taking half day there, half day there. No. Take a full day. Turn off the phone. Don't look at emails. Take the day. You should on a day off, whether it's Sunday or wherever it might be, it should be stuff that is enjoyable and freeing and not an undertaking. Okay? It should be not things that I have to do, accomplishments or purposes or productivity. Sabbath time should be freeing. Can working on your car be freeing? Yes. Can working out in the yard be freeing for some people? Absolutely. Playing baseball? Absolutely. But if you are saying to yourself, oh great, I've got to go work on the car today, or I've got to work out in the yard, it is not freeing. Don't do it. It's, it's hard. And I think, that, again, I'm telling you these two things. One, Overwork and one um, laziness. It exposes something in us. That one, my job cannot fulfill. At the same time, leisure and just, just relaxing cannot fulfill either. And in that tension when you're rolling on your bed because you don't want to go and work, or you're overworking, you think, I just got to work and work to find significance, there is tension within us. And that's why Augustine's quote is so good. He says, O Lord, Thou hast made us, and our spirits are restless until we rest in Thee. Unless we believe that, we in our lives are going to go through this cycle of laziness and overwork, laziness and overwork, over and over and over again. And God is saying, in those moments, I want you to find rest in me, as hard as it is. University of Virginia study that just came out, right? Did you guys see this? They took men and women and said, stay in this room for 15 minutes and just think. Be alone to your thoughts and rest. And this is what they found. They, people hated it. Do you know how much they hated it? They actually put electric shocks inside the rooms. 
The majority of men would rather shock themselves, shock themselves for that 15 minutes, than sit alone to their thoughts. That is crazy. This is Christian studies, but this is the reality of who we are. I, I love Conan. I'm sorry, I'm a Conan fan. And uh, I love the comic Louis C.K., okay? And Louis C.K. was on Conan. You know, he's funny. You know, he makes jokes. And uh, he, he's talking about cell phones, right? He pulls this out. He says, this thing is toxic. This is a comic. This is toxic for our children, for us. And he says, when is it can we just be ourselves and not do anything? You know the reason he's talking about it? You know, everyone in the cars is doing this because they can't just sit and be by themselves. They get a text. They get a call. They got to be with somebody. He said something so profound. It's a comic talking. He says, he's not a Christian. You know, all of us have this empty. This thing in us that's just empty. And we have to Go to it. We have to face the reality that there is an emptiness in us. And you know what happens with these toxic things? We don't allow the emptiness to wave over us and talk to us. <laughs> he tells us when he's in the car, and Bruce Springsteen comes, um, comes on, his jungle love song, right? And he's singing, and he said, I was just hit when this song came on the radio. I'm empty. This world is broken. This is Louis C.K. talking. And I wanted to pull out my phone and just text someone and call someone and not deal with the emptiness. And you know what? I said, I'm not going to do it. I, I pulled, he's talking to Conan, right? I pulled off to the side of the road and listened to the song and I let the emptiness wave over me and I just wept and I cried. <sighs> do you see what God wants to fulfill in you? Do you see what God wants to do? Work will have no purpose. Rest will not have purpose if it is not found in God Himself. He is calling to us with such a loud voice, saying, I have made you for a purpose and for a reason. And if you found it in your work, you are going to be in trouble. But when you rest, you will cry out to me, and I will come to you, and I will fulfill you. I hope you don't come away with this sermon and you say this. Okay, good sermon about work-rest work, balance. I need more of that in my life. I need to balance work and rest. That's what this sermon was about, balancing that in my life. No, that is not what I'm saying. Do you know there was a man, a rich young man, that had good work-life balance? And he came to Jesus... And he said, look, Jesus, I got it together. I have money. I have a good job. I have my life together. But he wanted to tell Jesus, how do I inherit 
eternal life. But what did Jesus say? You know what? You need to work harder. You need to do a better job. You know what? You just need to abide by the Sabbath more. That's what you need. No. What did Jesus say to this rich young man? Give up everything. Give away everything and follow me. The answer to work and rest is not balance, but is surrender to Jesus Christ. That is what will put work and rest in the right place. Until we do that, we will not find it. Let me tell you, there are going to be phases of life. I'm young. Whether it's a new career, between jobs, school, young kids, and it will treat you like a yo-yo. You will say to yourself, what is my calling? What am I supposed to do? There are moments that you will overwork and moments where you will be paralyzed by fear and you will oversleep. The good news of the gospel is not finding the right balance and the right calling, but understanding that your primary call is to God Himself. And when you are satisfied in that calling, then you can have the right perspective on work and you can rest in the completed work of Christ. That is the good news of the gospel. Surrendering to Him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, You know us. You know when no one is looking where we are lazy, where we are tooling around on the Internet, when we are not being attentive to the tasks at our hand. And God, You know when we try to fulfill our life by overworking. God, find us in those places. Let your wisdom speak to us and let us find rest in you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.